Rolling. Renegades. Andre and I had this big idea. Nurses know how to solve shit. Renegades. How funny is it that you live in Portland? I mean, we talked about this last time we we had a chat with you, but I, I find all these people on LinkedIn and I can't believe how many are sitting in my own backyard. <laughs> Not that we can see them or anything, but it's cool to know that people are close. <laughs> yeah, right. What's your favorite part of Have you been here long? I grew up in Vancouver, Washington, which is just north of Portland, um, and uh, lived in Portland for seven or eight years and then just moved back up into Washington. But I'm still super close to Portland, but I love, you know, I love the food scene in Portland. We love food and uh, I don't have that up here in Washington. So we, whenever we want to go out, we usually just drive to Portland. Okay. Well, for anybody listening, who's going to visit Portland, tell us your favorite restaurants. Well, first tell us your name. (laughs) Tell us your name, your favorite color. Uh, Why? Yeah. Start with your restaurants. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My name is uh, Zach Smith. I am a uh, nurse by trade, transitioned into nurse entrepreneur. So um, officially on the business side of nursing now and trying to help advocate for nurses however and whenever I can through technology and, and startups and uh, a bunch of different organizations. I, um, I would say my favorite Portland restaurant is Eam, E-E-M. And it's just a really good sort of like, it's um, like a barbecue Thai restaurant. And so really really interesting like curries and use like smoked brisket and some of their curries and things like that. So it's just super delicious if you can get in. <laughs> so that's the trick. Yes. I'm going there as soon yeah. as I can. Thank you. Well, they do. They actually have a really great takeout option. Cool. And they've, you know, I, I love watching the way restaurants have figured out how to, how to just move to full takeout and uh-huh. some do it not so great. And some do it really well. And uh, teams, they have, there's like a machine. So they just pump out the takeouts, which is amazing. That is a great tip, especially for me, because I'm in Portland. So thank you. Favorite color? Yeah. Green. <laughs> love green. green. Yeah. And I wish, you know, Pacific Northwest, that's part of the why I live here. I just love all the green everywhere. Yes, it's green. So green. So we are so happy to have you here. Happy to hear about what you're doing, what you did. But, you know, I think the last time we spoke, I didn't really, I don't think we talked about like a whole ton about you know, what it was like for you as a kid, where you grew up. Did we, Karen? Did we talk? No, there was, uh, we went over the allotted uh, meet and greet time because we got into such, we got into such a depth about nursing, the state of nursing education and all that. No, but what we love about doing these podcasts is, you know, you have a wealth of information and thing to, things to share, but we like to know how you got to that wealth of information. And, and your story kind of serves as a Trojan horse for the information to get in, you know? So yeah. Who are you? Where are you from? What was, where'd you grow up? Yeah, so you get here? Grew up here in the Pacific Northwest um, in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, like I said, just North of Portland. I uh, am the last of three kids in my family, but I grew up in an in-home daycare where I was the oldest of the sort of daycare bunch. So um, I was like my mom's, you know, sort of like right-hand kid to help uh, with all the, the daycare kiddos. And so I would say even from like a really, really early age, I was sort of put in this position of responsibility, but I also had my older siblings to look up to. So on one sense, I felt like I was 
you know, always being positioned in a more mature place in my life. So I was trying to act more like my older brother and sister who are five and seven years older than me. And, you know, that I would say that sort of like mentality put me in a lot of leadership positions where um, I was always seeking to, to make change, make a difference and felt that the best way I could do that was by using some of my skills in leadership positions. So, you know, I can remember the fifth grade running for class president and giving a speech and doing that. I remember this, the science experiments, always trying to do the biggest, coolest science experiment. Um, remember what you're, do you remember what you focused on in your fifth grade speech? You know, I, I don't, it, I, but you know, I wasn't doing like the vending machine thing, you know, how like everyone yeah. used to, I, I kind that. of, I kind of had that feeling. So I was wondering if, if you, I was if it was that deep inside of you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, what does a fifth grade president do? I literally couldn't even tell you right now, but no, I was, I was much more practical. <laughs> yeah, I, know. Well, right. I was wondering, were you blowing up the volcanoes? Or yeah. And your science work? experiment? Yeah, I made a, I made a, an earthquake or a tidal wave contraption and so the tectonic plates slipping and then it's sort of pushing water and then I made this little sandy beach and so I had this little experiment and I think about that like that has always stuck in my head you know you have these like childhood memories that sort of like linger with you over the years and I think about those moments and and that time I spent with my dad building that and how I can replicate that with my own two kids now my five-year-old is super interested in science and, and things like that so you know, he was asked, he, I was, we were talking about the tectonic plates and how, you know, the continents used to sort of fit together and things like that. So I don't know, those, those are special moments to me and I'm excited to replicate them for my kids. But that was my science, the the science experiment part of my life growing up, you know, going into middle school, you know, those fun years, right? Everyone loves middle school, but I (laughs) poured myself into just sort of other sort of like leadership roles when I, when I could. And I remember I tried to get a, a school mascot and I had to go through this long process and go through all the bureaucracy of apparently getting a mascot at a school. And, wow. You uh, started training young. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't even like, I don't think it was even like cognizant or intentional, but I just, I just would always seem to find myself in those opportunities. And then in high school, I ended up, you know, running again for school government as uh, as the, the vice president and did that and so did a bunch of assemblies and was on stage you know um, talking to the school and so I just liked I always liked being in a position where I felt like I could make change and throughout my entire life I've always I've always had that disposition of you know I would just want to do something big I want to I want to impact a lot of lives in in a positive way and um, never knew exactly how that was going to manifest and and still um, really curious in what the rest of my career holds, but I still feel very proud of the change and the impact that I've had to date. Um, so yeah, it's just been sort of a continuation of my, my long childhood journey. I was going to say, it seems like it was very much colored by curiosity, like from a very young age, just super curious and able to foster that curiosity in ways that were interesting to you where like uh, when you tell that story, it doesn't resonate with me because I think I was, you know, like running for, you know, student body in junior high, that wouldn't ever even have occurred to me. And not that I'm a curious person, but it just seems like you were very curious and you wanted to make change. So I was curious, I was curious if you felt like you did all those years, did you make change? I mean, it's one thing to want to and to try to do something to do that. It's another thing to actually feel like, yes, I've accomplished what I set out to do. Yeah, you know, I think a big 
big change is, is, you know, in perspective when you're in middle school, right? So got I helped get a mural painted on the side of a wall and that felt big, right? Yeah. Now in the grand scheme of things, probably, probably not super big, but for me, it was, it was, you know, just gravitating towards the areas that I felt like I was good at. I felt like I was good in front of people and uh, I felt like, you know, I so like speaking in front of groups. So I just naturally gravitate towards those sort of things. So part of it was just, you know, wanting to make an impact. And the other part of it was just going to the areas that I felt like I was strong in, which was definitely coming to, you know, coming to use later on in my nursing career when I was trying to seek to find out which specialty was the specialty that was right for me. And uh, having some failures along the way, knowing, you know, maybe which specialties weren't the right ones. Hey, so I'd like to pull that string. We, we, we find... When someone gets to, I mean, you're young. You look quite young. I mean, I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, that that means like, I know that you've achieved a a level of success at a young age that most people aspire to do accomplish before they die, you know? And people who've done that, we find, had some kind of something. It's like there's a change within. They see something fundamental. It changes them. And you reminded me to ask when you said, I've had some failures, because it usually comes from there. The failure is usually the compost for growth, right? And and then everything looks different. And then they help other people with the wisdom they gained from what looked different for them. So the question is, is there something that you've experienced that made everything look different for you from one day to the next or over time? Yeah, hundred percent. Now I would say, you know, I, I've lived with imposter syndrome my entire life. And so like, maybe there's a part of me if we're like, in a, if I'm going to lay down on the couch here, you know, to where like I'm compensating with, with, um, we'll move over know, for you <laughs> <laughs> leadership roles uh, to, you know, to try to prove to myself that I'm worthy and, you know, the, you know, of the change I want to make or the roles I'm in. I don't know, but I know, you know, when I graduated nursing school, I was still unsure of if it was really the right career for me because I had a lot of ambitions and different things I wanted to do. I definitely wanted to own a business. In fact, I went into nursing knowing that it would provide me that opportunity to start a, a business on the side, you know, knowing that I could work three days a week and have four days off. And then the rest of life, I guess, I just didn't even think about. <laughs> but, right. um, so, you know, I graduated during the Great Recession and I ended up having to go into a skilled nursing facility to work for my first year which um, turned out to be one of the best, I think, experiences for me that I could have had, you know, as a, as a new grad, learning how to cut your teeth and be a caregiver and have that responsibility in a skilled nursing facility where maybe the patients were less sick, but the time management was through the roof, <laughs> and trying to manage all those. I, so I that can't. was like, it was, it was a great experience, uh, a challenging experience and a good one for me. And I went straight from that into a step-down ICU. Because I just wanted to get into the hospital. I wanted to get into acute care setting. You know, I was a, a, a BSN graduate and uh, that was sort of, you know, what was expected of me. And, and that was the, what I had envisioned in my head of sort of, you know, the ultimate um, role. And that ICU, you know, the ICU role has that sort of, you know, I think stigma of like, you know, you know you're really up there um, with, with the big kids, you know. And so I didn't know, you know, really what I wanted to do other than I, I knew eventually I wanted to work with kids. So I got this, I went from a skilled nursing facility as my first job for a year into a step-down ICU. And they put me in sort of like an accelerated new grad program. 
it was very, uh, it was very ad hoc, <laughs> but they had a bunch of different preceptors and was all over the place. And it was challenging, you know, it was just such a, such a leap for me. And I wouldn't say it was like the smoothest experience for me, but I knew I was growing and I was getting better every day and every shift, but I had some negative preceptor experiences. I'd say most of them are fine, but a few negative ones where it almost felt like they were looking for the reasons for me to fail yes. instead of lifting me up. Sorry, did I and, say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, you know, and I already was, was self-conscious about me even being there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think I just had sort of a skeptical eye that that was just laid upon me because, you know, some of these, some of these nurses had, had been nurses for 25 plus years. You know, I know the, the one preceptor called herself the floor mom. And then here I come in as like this 23 year old, you know, I'm sure I look like I was part of a frat or something. And I just didn't have that like sort of traditional look. And so when I'm like tucking in, you know, an 80 year old grandma, like I, I think people would look at me with skepticism, like, is he being authentic or genuine, you know? And, and I, don't know how many of these things were just in my head or, or actually, you know, were playing out, but I just had does a really that, nice- When you say in your head, does that mean you weren't sure if it was actually, your intuition was correct that that's what they were thinking or if that's just what you were thinking that they were thinking? Yeah. Yeah. I, I never got like confirmation of anything like that, but I, but usually these things you can kind of pick up on and, yes. and you know, you're, you, you, when you learn how to read people as nurses are great at doing, you know, you yeah. can- you can sense these sort of things and they shouldn't be true. I wonder too, also, and you know, this isn't just out of curiosity. I mean, you got into nursing in the great recession. So that was what the early two thousands, right? That was 2009. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it took a while for men to sort of make a presence in nursing. I mean, in the operating room, you see them all the time now, like they just go in there, but I can imagine maybe there was some older nurses who didn't think you fit the role, right? Because it was, it's been like, do you, did you feel that? Or did you just think it was you're young and you're coming in and what does he think he's doing in the ICU type of a thing? I'm just curious because I've always been curious by what draws men to the ICU, the ER, the operating room, you know, that's where I find most of them sort of go. Yeah. You know, I think men make up, and to thirteen percent of the nursing workforce, so clear minority in that sense. Now, men benefit from a number of other advantages in, in the rest of life. So, not to not to like you know, yeah. <laughs> to, to well, position I'm a, all sexism debate. I'm just curious, right? Experience, <laughs> but but certainly, it felt like I was battling against preconceptions from the get go. And you know, I don't know if other men had this, but but I, I do know some have have, have battled that. And it's just a, it's just a, you know. A slight challenge. And so it was always something that would kind of linger with me, you know, throughout when I'd go to new roles and, and or have new preceptors or something, I was trying to prove myself to them that, you know, I was authentic and genuine and here for the right reasons. And, but so, you know, I had this, I was on this, you know, sort of accelerated new grad experience in the step down ICU. And I, I remember going through, going on a six on in a row, six twelves in a row, which should never happen when you're precepting. <laughs> like I didn't agree to it. It just was, that was her schedule and I was thrown to her schedule. So six, six on in a row in the step down ICU under, as a preceptee and things weren't fine. I think I remember leaving down a bed rail at one point, which I got chastised for. I remember 
I had two patients who were on insulin drips at the same time. So we were starting the protocols for them at the same time. And one was going by the protocol and the other one was the other one was, uh, we had to call the doctor because it was a little more unique. And the doctor gave us sort of a custom order. And I only bring that up because I remember at the end of it, I was like, or once the, the first delivery was, was made of insulin, I, I, was, I asked my person, I was like, should I call the doctor again or should I go to the protocol? And she was like, no, you, you should call the doctor again. Well, later I found out that she had told my manager that I tried to, to uh, titrate an insulin drip without a doctor's order. And it made, it just created this feeling where I can't, I can't ask questions to my preceptor without my intelligence being challenged or my, or at least without, it just wasn't a safe place for me to sort of learn and grow. And that has always really stuck with me. Turns out she had written this long letter to my manager saying I wasn't practicing safe nursing. And I was always, you know, someone who wanted to hear this feedback and grow, but you know, it was things like, what are the side effects of vancomycin? And I was like, you know, like red man syndrome. And I was like scratching my brain and, and she was like nausea and vomiting. And I'm like, oh yeah, nausea and vomiting. So then she reported that I didn't know the side effects to common drugs like vancomycin, which, you know, nausea and vomiting was side effect to every drug pretty much. Uh, (laughs) But then it was felt like, you know, I was like getting tested. And if I like, if I got something, you know, moderately wrong, it's going to be reported to my manager. So they put me on in or no, they brought me back for another six in a row after our um, eight days off. And I was scanning or I was, I had a couple of patients and it was midway through the shift. And I got this patient's med, um, it, was, it was Zofran, checked it on the computer outside, got it from the Pixis, went into the room, checked it on the computer in the room. And then I went to deliver it to her, but I didn't check her, her wristband at the time. So I didn't, you know, go through, through all my five rights. And so she sent me home for the day. And I never came back to work. They fired me for practicing unsafe nursing. And, you know, when you have this insecurity and this, this imposter syndrome and to get fired, you know, then it's like, well, I am an imposter. I don't belong here. Like, what am I doing here? And, you know, I went from a skilled nursing facility to a step down ICU where I was trying to make up a lot of ground and, and prove to myself and others that I belonged and then here I had sort of a number of people tell me that I didn't belong. Railroaded. Um, oh my God. Yeah, and, and it was so horrible. I can't, I, I was, was not so expecting bad, yeah. you to say that you got fired. Like again, maybe another report to the manager, maybe, right? Cause usually in nursing a body, no matter who it is, is better than nobody. Yeah. Uh, that, oh my yeah. God. Yeah, just, I know it's not the end of the story, but just give us a minute with that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hang on real quick. Hang on. Pause. <laughs> Is she going to oh scream into her? Goodness. Wow. Like that's, I know we shouldn't keep going. That's just crazy. Especially, well, uh, that's just crazy, period. But I didn't actually, oh, okay. I don't, I'm speaking. Just think about, speechless. Think about the contrast between what Zach just said how they treated him and how Fiona, we did a podcast I, I, I will send you the link Zach after this, and you will see uh, the stark contrast between different management styles and you will love Fiona and want to hug her and speak to her, but go ahead. What happened next? <laughs> well, it was, it was a long, it was a, it was a drawn out process where they put me on leave. So I'm sitting at home. They started bringing up 
really bizarre things like you had your jacket on during report were you in a hurry to get out like I didn't want to be at the hospital or something and I was like well the heaters broke that night like just no no one no one remembers that like we were freezing <laughs> like a, there was they brought up something like you were re- you recently got engaged do you think that's distracting you and I was like how do you know I got engaged and, you know it was just it was so it was just so bizarre and I felt like it was the opposite of the environment that I've tried to create for for my employees I've had since and and the nurses I've worked with and precepted since and, and it's that you know like we've got like we're, we're working with patients lives right so I mean there is a line we've got to keep our patients safe um, and protect them but we've also got to nurture and bring along our younger nurses so that they can grow into um, you know the best nurse possible and for me it felt like I was you know just battling against these negative forces that that made me feel even more like I didn't belong and I and I feel like everyone has at least some form of an imposter syndrome or many people do at least. And, uh, you know, I certainly didn't feel like I belonged. And I remember they, so you know, the union was involved or we were sitting down, they had written up this letter and like, we got agreed, we agreed to a, like for me just to say like resigned, like I resigned so they didn't have to terminate me or something. And so I didn't have to put that on my, my resume, but you know, everyone was looking at my resume there, like new, like, Hey, why haven't you had a job in four months? Like, you know, it was so hard for me to get that step down job because there were just, when you're a new, uh, a new nurse, it's, they always want that, that experience. And so I went unemployed for about six months while I was you know, just applying everywhere. And even to, before, when I was working in the skilled nursing facility, I applied to hundreds of jobs, automatic rejections by the computer. Every day, my email box was full of auto rejection. So then I went into this other situation where now I got to try to find a job with you know, a black mark on my resume and certainly makes you wonder if you should even, if you should even continue this profession or should go a different direction. There must've been something, I mean, cause here you are and you did get another job. What, there must've been some light, some kernel of truth in you that knew that you were railroaded and they were full, even with the something alive and true beneath the imposter syndrome that knew yeah that they weren't right. Yeah. I, I didn't believe they were right, but I wondered, sure. you know, are maybe, maybe they were right. You know, maybe, maybe I am not cut out for this. And so, you know, I would almost be finding reasons to take their side <laughs> through, through the six months that I was, was unemployed. You know, it's just, just, you know, I think, just the, what your brain puts you through and, and what you think about. And, and I, I'm throughout all of my different jobs I've had, I think it's important to recognize where you're not strong um, and where you need improvement because we're always constantly improving. And so I was trying to be responsible and humble about this. Like I didn't, I knew I made mistakes and I was going to make mistakes and I was going to continue to make more mistakes in my career but what can I do to learn from these mistakes to make less of them and to be a, a safer practitioner? You know, I just, I, I tried to approach it reasonably and, and almost look at it from their, their perspective, but it, hard, it was just really hard to go through all of that and, uh, and, you know, persevere through the other side. What did the other side look like after six months? So I ended up getting... I was applying for what I thought was probably like one of my last 
chances at getting a job after six months and I had applied everywhere. It was this new unit that was, they were trying to experiment with putting all the behavioral health patients or the patients that had behavioral health issues that, but were acutely ill on one floor. So the people with dementia that, that maybe had an infection and needed IV, IV meds or um, an IV drug user that had an abscess, but, you know, had to get an IND and, and needed antibiotics. The uh, alcoholics, like it was like, put them all on one floor. We'll give you more CNAs, but you'll have more patients instead because they're acutely less ill, but, but behaviorally, you know, they're really challenging. And this, so I remember going to this interview and, and uh, there was a man and a woman who were interviewing me, the supervisor and the manager. And, you know, they asked me and I was just, I was tired of being cagey about my, my last experience. And I just sort of told them it, succinctly what I went through. And I remember the, the guy who was, he was, he was probably in his mid fifties and he was a nurse. He, uh, he's been a nurse for like 35 years or something, started an L and D 35 years ago. <laughs> and he asked me, he goes, well, I would just remember him saying like, I don't believe any one experience should shape someone's entire life. And, you know, can you imagine just that feeling of like someone, someone with all that experience telling you that who was your, inner, your interview. So he ended up hiring me as we formed this new unit. I became chargers within three months um, because, you know, I just sort of gravitate towards those, those roles, or at least my skill set seemed to fit, fit that. And my skill set was definitely good to be, definitely better suited for behavioral patients than it was for, you know, ICU critical care type patients because I could sort of manage their behaviors. Uh, my, my sort of the way I go about being a nurse was just very calm. And, and so I would try to bring that calming influence to my unit, but in an ICU, it was always a lot, it was kind of like a lot faster paced. And so I almost felt a little out of place at times, mm. at least I, that's the way I felt uh, as, you know, as an orientee. And uh, so it, I was just really well suited for a floor like that uh, and ended up finding sort of my niche and, you know, talking about going where your strengths are. The ICU was not my strength. You know, I was, I, I was never like, you know, super great at uh, the science side of nursing, which sounds, yeah. sounds weird to say, but I'm, I'm pretty good with people and behavioral health patients in so much of nursing, right, is managing and working with people. And these patients, you know, they either didn't want the drugs or they wanted more drugs uh, were challenging and aggressive and physical. And uh, I just knew how to instinctively work with people like that. And so I did really well. And so, you know, about three or four months um, into that job, I remember that same supervisor who had, he had made that comment to me uh, during our interview, he came up to me and he said, uh, he said, you know, hiring you was was one of the greatest risks, or he didn't say what was one of the greatest risks, but he said something along the lines of you, something along the lines of hiring you is one of the greatest decisions I've made. And I'm so glad I like, I took the risk on you, so to speak. And he shared with me that he had experiences. He goes, do you think you being male had anything to do with you getting fired? And I said like, you know, overtly no, but I always wondered if like, you know, behind the scenes, like, you know, maybe deep in someone's mind, there was some sort of, you know, something that at play there. And he goes, I had a very similar experience when I was really young. That was almost word for word, what you shared with me. And I managed to sort of get through it. And he was just really happy to provide me that opportunity for a second chance. And uh, that was exactly what I needed. And I remember writing to him 
many years later, just saying like how much I felt like I owed him for, for seeing in me what, what, you know, a lot of people were passing up on and, and giving me that opportunity to prove myself. So that moment that has always stuck out in my head is probably one of the more defining, you know, times in my career. That's such an amazing story, Zach. Thanks for sharing that. Oh my gosh. I'm so touched by just, yeah, I got, a, I got a little verklempt and I, I had one of those stories, exact same. I didn't get fired for it. I wouldn't let them fire me. <laughs> I'll tell you the story some other times because this ain't me, ain't the me show. But how did that? How did life look different after that? Or did it take years to integrate what happened? Like, did that change you or how you treated yourself? How you treated other people? You know, I think it's it's built upon my experiences throughout my life and, and was a big moment in my life and, you know, probably colored in certain pages that hadn't been colored before, but it was such a pivotal moment, both the, the down and the up, right. Yeah. Seeing how, seeing how sort of poor management and, uh, and mentorship can take you one direction and how proper mentorship can take you a whole nother direction. And, and so I always think about that in the, the roles that I hold, but also in the change that I want to see in healthcare and trying to help advocate for a healthier workplace, a safer workplace for, for nurses, and to try to create an environment that can foster our young and new nurses so we can bring more nurses into the profession and nurture them and keep them around. We know young nurses are dropping like flies right now because the sort of you know, the billboard of becoming a nurse is not like the reality of becoming a nurse. Mm-hmm. And that transition into the workforce is stark and challenging and hard. And, and I went through it and almost failed it and, and almost dropped out, but I made it. And I hope that we can find ways to encourage to work with younger nurses and to create the sort of environments that can keep them around for longer because we need every nurse we can get right now. Do you, do you have a sense of, based on, on your experience now, like a sense of what, what's improved in terms of mentorship and preceptorship? Cause I saw a change over the 20 years as an OR nurse, right? Like it was hardcore in the beginning. And then over 20 years, there were changes that were made. It wasn't perfect, but it did get better for younger nurses. And now I, better is relative. Cause I don't know how much better really, but so do you see like, what, what are some of the solutions and have you seen improvement since that happened to you? You know, I think I, I've sensed a, you know, a progression in the right direction uh, in this. And I think some of this is just generations, uh, the, the types of generations that are coming through and each generation sort of holds sort of different, you know, values and the ways we go about life. And, you know, I think it shows up in the way we parent right? In a lot of ways too. And, and certainly can be applied for the way that we mentor people who are new to the profession. I, but you know, it's, it's incremental. And I think, you know, this isn't the the biggest negative force on nursing right now, where there's, there's a number of other things that are much more weighty on, on nursing, but it's a part of the equation. And I just think that there hasn't been any systems in place to really improve this from, from my experience. It's just been more nurses sort of taking their own experiences and trying to make create better experiences for those that they're precepting, but it hasn't been anything sort of institutionalized. I don't know if you guys have have seen anything like that. 
I, I mean, I, I think you're right. Now that I'm thinking about it there in my, in the operating room where I was, there was a push to kind of help the preceptors precept better. So, you know, I was a preceptor, they'd get us together. We'd talk about, you know, what does that look like? But to your point, it was kind of this, we recognize that we need to help the preceptors. We don't know how, but let's start here, you know? And it did, I think it did help, right? Like you definitely went back out there, especially, I mean, I've been doing this for, had been doing it for a long time and, and, uh, you know, generationally I was different because I was, you know, I mean, I'm 50, but the ones that were really older than me were, you know, definitely harder to, it was harder for younger nurses to be precepted by them for Mm -hmm. the most part. So, yeah, I think, I think, I think there wasn't really a system. I think they were trying in my experience, but that's really an interesting point. Yeah. I, I would really like to, I would like to come, I would like the bulk of the crescendo and climax of this talk to just be about that because but I want to here I go and stick a pin in it or pin (laughs) because because there's because in my in my squirrel brain in my I feel incomplete so what happened between I just want everybody who's listening this to know the rest of the story because there's something in the middle and then what you're doing now to affect change for everything. And that's how, you know, what we first, we, when we first talked about you, like, damn, why didn't we record that? Yeah, it, was, it was a long conversation on educating. Nurses. It was all about educating and I want to get back to it, but I'm missing the part in the middle. I think Andre knows, but what happened? Like, what did you do after that? So, you know, I stayed at that job for a couple of years. And like I said, I was a charge nurse, but I kept finding sort of different situations that just the systems in place um, were inadequate for for nurses. Uh, I remember them handing handing around the sort of like spreadsheet trying to ask us to schedule each other and I was like let me let me take this. Let, I got this. I you know so I like made this excel spreadsheet myself. Then I worked with every nurse to sort of try to get them their ideal schedule and it was like you know a massive headache it gave me a tremendous amount of respect for the schedulers out there because it's a huge challenge to try to do it. But I'm also like, look at this paper. It's like got erase marks all over it. It was just wild, you know, and then I'm having to like go around trying to talk to them all. The process was just super inefficient and, and not ideal. But then there was other things like, you know, the patient assignments that I would make for this, this uh, you know, the staff. I've made my own sort of like format type of thing. I worked with this another, another person on the floor. We, we created sort of a we made a the patient assignment would show up on all the home home screens of the computers in the uh, on the floor, so that if I updated it, like if there's a, a transfer or an admit or a discharge, it would update on all the screens that everyone could see. So you know when you're picking up the call lights, you could see. So just like little things like that, we were just like, what can we do to to improve upon what's out there right now? But it just was it was highlighting to me that that there were so many areas in nursing that that tools were just woefully inadequate. I went from that job, moved down to Portland. I, I was up in Everett, Washington, so near Seattle. Moved down to Portland, um, got a job at a fairly similar unit and worked there. Sorry, I just, I, I'm constipated. It's just like fifth grade in high school. Like what you just said, it's like I got myself in a position where I could affect change. Yeah. Like you did the same yeah. thing there and you did, like you started, okay, sorry. I just, I'm like, it's, it's the pattern. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's just, 
highlighting a problem. It's not always coming up with a solution. Sometimes it's just sort of elevating the problem. And, and so that's, that's just an approach I take in, in my life and certainly found that uh, working as a nurse, you know, you're surrounded by problems, <laughs> you're surrounded by inefficiencies, lack of adequate tools. And so my mind has always been in that space and certainly wasn't that in that job in um, Everett, Washington, and then transferred to Portland, where I worked, where I continued my career at another job. This was still MedSurge and worked there for a year before, before I got another job as a uh, pediatric nurse. So I finally kind of got my, the, the, the job I really wanted, which was working with kids, which kind of goes back to the time when I was in my parents' house, you know, the in-home daycare, working with kids all day, every day. And uh, so finally got to that pediatric job. But before, before I started that job, I remember I was, I was working my shift and I got a text from my friend, Joe, who was a nurse himself. And he had started a business um, years prior that I'd actually worked at as sort of like his right-hand man uh, a couple of summers as well. They sold AEDs and did CPR training and AED training for, for uh, large businesses. And he called me and said, hey, I have a new idea. I want to talk to you about it. And so I took my break and hopped on the phone with him. And it was him and another guy without clinical experience. And um, basically, Joe said, I want, to, I want to create scheduling technology for nurses uh, but the way I want to do it is I want to focus on the nurse first. I want to create an app for nurses first and see if we can get that to spread and then create technology for the hospitals. Because the way that technology is built for hospitals today is it's built for the executives at the very top. And then by the time it trickles down to the nurse, the end user, the nurse is like, did anyone care to ask me about this? You know, what's because I would have told you this doesn't work or these features don't make any sense. And so that was the moment when I sort of entered into my um, entrepreneurship career. That's so cool. I, uh, wow. I'm just like, <laughs> so you created, so you got with this group of other nurses, created a nurse first scheduling app, and then you sold you, it, right? You sold it, right? Yeah. So we, you know, it was just Joe, um, who was a nurse. And then the other guy who was with us for probably about another year, year and a half or so. And Joe and I set out to sort of talk to as many nurses as we possibly could and to design and develop uh, nurse grid, the, the free scheduling app for nurses. And, but before we could even get there, we were, we were fundraising. So I remember, I would be going to pitches and fundraising meetings with wealthy investors. And so I had on my, my suit, my only suit, <laughs> and I would walk, I would go to these, these uh, meetings and then I would go to the hospital and uh, switch into my scrubs and then I would work a shift and then I would come off my shift and I would go home and usually we'd have like another meeting or something like that. And I just kind of just did this over and over until we raised enough money that we were able to build and launch the app. And that's when I sort of, then we had an office. And so then I was, was that I was in the office for, for three days and working night shift for three nights and switching in between and just running around like crazy until I rightfully decided to scale back a little bit (laughs) to try to give some of my, my personal life back. But yeah, we, we set out to create nurse grid and I'd say within, within five years or so, we had over a million downloads of the mobile app 
that was clearly the most preferred nurse app in the, in the market. And uh, we were acquired by HealthStream a few years ago, for which I now am um, still a, uh, a member of. Does, is, so is NurseGrid still NurseGrid or did HealthStream change the name? Is it still, and do nurses still use it? Yeah, still NurseGrid. It says by HealthStream underneath it now. Um, but they've said they want to keep, keep the name because it has a lot of equity built into it. And, you know, just, I remember when we were coming up with the name, it was, should we say nurse grid? You know, like, does that corner us too much into only nurses? The way I always looked at it was like kind of nursing professionals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, CNAs and, and techs and, and hucks and, and others, you know, I, I kind of would put under that umbrella. But for me, what we were trying to do was say, like, we're looking at you nurses uh, and the nursing profession when everyone else sort of tries to glob us into all of healthcare, like you're the same as a doctor and I can, I can create technology for you in the exact same way. Like it just nursing have nurses are, are, are a tight knit community and have very specific needs. And we want to develop technology that met those exact needs. And so we needed the name to follow suit. And so that's why we said nurse inside of nurse grid, because we wanted to call out to nurses to be like, here's an app for you. And it was one of the first technologies that was built um, specifically for nurses. And since we've seen a lot of organizations and a lot of pop-ups and, and startups um, be created that are focusing on nurses, I'm not saying we were the first, but there was a lot less back then. And it's been really great to see people focus on our profession, trying to create technology and tools for us because, because, you know, we know we need them and we know we need our voice heard in this development process. And that was sort of a, a key mission of, of nurse Grid. Yes, Zach. Thank you for coming on the Renegade podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, we need more nurses and nursing professionals who take it upon themselves to to seek the change that that they want to see. I don't have to do you know steal a presidential quote there, but you know, like you just have to look around, and and certainly you both have, have seen the same in that you know this particular aspect of nursing is, is inadequate. What can I do to solve it? And does it match and align with my profession and, or my, my, my skills and my interests? And if it does, then, you know, give it a whack and, and see what you can do. And I, it's awesome to see you guys, you know, do the same thing with your podcast and, and courses. Perfect. Andre, take out the pin. I know. I'm like, wait, I want to talk about, is it exciting to see, uh, you know, the, the, the generation, the younger generations, you know, I feel like, and I felt like this before that they, they could see like you, that there was a need and why aren't we using technology? I mean, we talked to another nurse on the podcast who was like, why are we still carrying our nurse brains around, you know, from patient to patient on paper? You know, mm-hmm. it makes it very difficult to give off a handoff report. It makes it very difficult to leave your shift because you've erased, you know. So mm-hmm. he developed his own technology for it and created an app as well called uh, Nurse, Nurse Brain. Brain. Yeah, Nurse mm-hmm. Brain. So I, I love I love so much that that's, you know, the evolution. And, you, you know, we talked about generation. But I also think you, at least from the conversation we had the last time, there's this thing around education and educating nurses. And so I kind of wanted to go there. And that was the pin, actually. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's, for me, it's about that transition from school to, to the workforce. And, you know, as I was saying earlier, we know the, most of the attrition that happens in nursing is happening in those, those uh, first two years of nursing. And I think sometimes it's just the, 
the reality doesn't meet the expectation of nursing. And, and, and I remember, <laughs> I remember asking Joe, Joe, you know, the founder of Nurse Grid, who he, he was already a nurse. And I was asking him when I was debating whether I wanted to go into nursing. I was like, can you just like, tell me about, you know, a normal, a normal shift. He worked in the ER and it was like, every other line was like charting. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Like, so you're charting a lot. I didn't, I never would have thought that uh, before I went into nursing. And so I just look at all, there's like millions of examples of what is, what is the reality of nursing? What is it actually like to be a nurse? And what are the challenges? And, uh, and I just don't think that we're doing a good enough job at preparing students for that reality. And I'm not necessarily even saying I have an exact solution for it and, and not knocking on nursing schools by any means, but it's, uh, but nursing has evolved. It's different than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And, and I don't know if schools have taken upon that evolution as well, but uh, certainly I think there's avenues and aspects for us to take. What, what are the things that I wish I could go back and teach my, my student self or my new grad self to help me handle that transition better? to help me uh, to just better foster me in my career. If I had better mentors around me, um, maybe I could have avoided some of the situations that I fell into. So I just try to think about all the things that I wish I would have known and, uh, and wonder, is there a way in which we can educate and better prepare students as they enter the workforce so that they stick around longer, but so that they're just more prepared to be the nurse that they need to be um, earlier in their careers. Yeah, we talked about exciting stuff before, everything from how to change the system that already is to creating another parallel system that competes. And maybe you couldn't call it registered nurse, but it's somebody, you know, it, the thing I took away that I kept going back to is if I had totally skipped Nothing against the University of Michigan Nursing School. You know, when I went, it was whatever. But the thing that we talked about that I think is true for so many nursing schools is I used 5% of what I learned there. Everything I learned to become an ICU nurse, I learned in the first three months. And actually. In the ICU. Yeah. In the ICU, on the job. I, I told you guys, I remember going to, I'd just gotten hired. I hadn't even started my first day of orientation and went to, went to get a beer with these two Canadian nurses that had only been there for three, six months. And I was like, so intimidated because they were talking ICU speak. And I didn't know it was like, they're speaking another language. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, did you guys learn this stuff in Canada? Like, is this what the Canadian nursing schools are like? They're like, no, we learned this like in the last three, six months. And sure enough, even though I got the had the railroading experience, something similar to you, Zach. I could have done that when I was 18. I mean, I could have left college or left high school, gone there. I mean, I had the same brain. I had the same passion. I had the same ability to absorb information and learn by doing. You know, I had that. And I'm, I'm just, I just thought that was such an interesting possibility that we started flirting with you know, when three of us spoke earlier, like, is there a potential of something parallel? Because the system is so ingrained and so in place and there's so many sacred cows and, you know, don't tread on me kind of stuff. I think that's what it's going to take. Like, it's going to have to collapse and what's going to be there to catch it, you know? 
Well, it feels it feels like we're on the edge of collapse right now, you know, <laughs> with the healthcare system and 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 what nurses are going through. Uh, you know, we're recording this, I think, at the surge, or we're coming off the surge of uh, you know the Omicron variant. So, you know, like the the, the hospitals have, to, or I think our healthcare institution has to figure out something different. Right, the the current way is is not sustainable, and you know, so much of this is, you know, staffing shortage and can they find the nurses? I think, I think a lot of that is nurses just not wanting to work in these particular environments, but it's also, you know, think about, I, I think it was somewhere around 80,000 um, applicants to nursing school. We turn or turn down every year. I think that was maybe 50 to 80,000. And so you think about all these people who want to become nurses that can't because the physical infrastructure of a nursing school can't hold them. Like our classroom can literally only fit a fit hundred students. At least that was my, my classroom. Or, you know, we only have so many teachers because it's hard to recruit teachers because you pay them less than they could make if they were working in a hospital. And so we have these, we had these constrictions on how many nurses we can train in a time when we need as many nurses as we can possibly yeah. get. So form. what can we do to alleviate these, this, the, the, you know, this obstruction to, uh, to move around it or get past it or support it so that we can um, train more nurses? Yeah, to me, it's just, it's so obvious that there's such a shortage of people and they're not allowing them even in the schools. I mean, think about residencies of doctors. I mean, I know it's different, but you have like in a teaching hospital, you have a whole team of like you know, five, six people, you got the fellow and you, you know, they got the attending and you got the residents of all different levels and you got the, you know, and they all go around teaching each other at the same time. I mean, what if hospitals were the schools and you had all of the assistants and, you know, there was year one where you would, you were a patient assistant or whatever the term is in your particular state. And then year two, you were that LPN level and then there's three, but there were so many of you you know, there were so many, the schools are the hospitals. Wouldn't that just fix the shortage and the shortage of help? Like I remember my preceptor, my first job, her father was sick. I'm live. it was in New Mexico. Her father lived in Raton, which was five hours North of Las Cruces where I was. When she left, they didn't give me a new pre- preceptor. <laughs> I was, was that just the end of your preceptor or your preceptor? I was just kind of allowed, they shared me, you know, but there was no one because they were short staffed. Yeah. You know, and, uh, well, and when every, you're short staffed, how can they, how can they help you? They're not you can't the focus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just hope they have, they learn through osmosis. You can't do a good job precepting someone if you're, you have, you know, it's supposed to be an ICU where you're, you're you know, one nurse to two patients, but they're short staffed. So now you have three. So basically you're, preceptee, your orientee becomes your aid, right? It's yeah. no, there's no structure to it, but that's, yeah. it's, there's no that process. was when I was, you know, starting out and it's no worse process. now, I'm sure. There's yeah. no process like you were saying, Zach, earlier. And the process that's in place is, doesn't, it doesn't foster somebody to learn and to grow like your experience. You know, you, you got, you got side railed at every turn and you just wanted to learn. And so, you know, softer, gentler, I don't know if those are the right words, but like a place where you feel like you belong and where you can, 
Like, yes, you, you know, you graduated from nursing school, you got your degree, you can be a nurse and you can do it in, you know, whatever, really, whatever field. I mean, like you, you find where you fit, but it doesn't mean you can't learn it. And so that process needs to change within the organization as well. Like, how do we preceptor our, our new nurses? Is it, you know, kinder, gentle? What is it? What does it, it even like? Yeah, what do you see, Mr. Systems? well you know nursing school is trying to give you that basis that foundation for which you can pursue like any one of the thousand specialties and so it's really hard because because it's really hard to um, to train a nurse to be ready for any one of those so you end up kind of spreading the information really thin and and not very deep in any one particular area where it's deepest is when you do your senior practicum or, or whatever your school calls it when you, you know, you clock about a hundred hours in your final months of school. That's the most valuable experience that, that I could get. But, you know, that's the school side. Like we are talking about the hospital side, how are hospitals supposed to train and take the time to, to nurture students when lots of times they find out they have a student, like when they show up in the morning and you're like, Oh, I got a student. Like, great. (laughs) Like, you know, now I'm short staffed and I have someone that can't administer meds without me being present. And I have to sort of coax them and and coach them. And like, it's exhausting being a preceptor on top of a full assignment and, or on top of an understaffed assignment. Uh, So, so it's, you know, there's, there's sort of, there's issues on both sides of it. And, and how do we get to a place where, where nurses actually have the time to, to work with students and new grads to help get them to the place they need to be without that toll being put exclusively on the nurse who's going to be making $1 to $2 extra per hour. You know, whooping right. for being a preceptor, that's not compensation for the amount of extra work you have to do. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, our conversation we had, you know, previously was like trying to think as far outside of the box as we possibly could on how do we um, improve this, this system. Yeah. It feels so big. I have to say, (laughs) listening to all the, all the like, okay, the preceptorships, when a new nurse comes on that, it just feels so big and overwhelming. And so, you know, being who you are, what, and, and for you personally, because it does seem like you have a, an interest in this. What is the next, for you, what would be the next step? Like, I guess, you know, one foot in front of the other kind of a thing. And what does that look like? Because we have to start somewhere. Right. Or is this top well, secret? No, uh, you know, it, it's, just a, it's just a bunch of ideas floating around in my head. So what, what I try to do is just talk to as many nurses as I possibly can or people in the industry and eventually the dots start to connect um, and you start to formulate an idea. You know, I don't think this is going to be any one thing where it's like, let's set out, we're going to change this. We're going to flip a light switch and all of a sudden, you know, change is going to happen. I think about it like, you know, think about how so much disruption happens in various industries. It's when you give power back to the people or when you sort of mobilize individuals rather than trying to take on big institutions as a whole. So like, you know, Uber and Lyft, they, they, you know, it's not like they were all of a sudden one day going to completely wipe out the taxi market. What they did was they created technology that slowly but surely 
brought more drivers onto the platform. And as more drivers came onto the platform, they had more riders who were coming onto the platform. And then that just picks up speed until all of a sudden it's overtaken the cab market and the cab market ceases to exist in the way we, we remember it. And so what are ways in which we can mobilize the millions of nurses out there who are fed up and tired and looking for something better? And this pandemic has highlighted and exacerbated all of the problems like 100x that nurses are going through. And so if there is a moment, we are in this moment right now, nurses have never had the amount of attention and focus uh, through media that they have today. And so I just think about first, you know, what are the barriers in place? Well, you have accreditation bodies that control a lot of, um, you know, what, what a school has to do has to have and who the professors and the teachers have to be in order to to teach the students. I think we said, let's make our own accreditation body. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. So, I you know, joking, but <laughs> well, a, I have a separate sort of thing that I'm kind of working on that I'll, that I'll touch on, on that aspect of things too. But, but it's important to know what are the barriers in place? Cause it's not just like, Hey, let's just you know, create a new nursing school and go out there and then, and then hospitals will start to hire us. Like you have to be accredited in order to get accredited. You have to go through this process and things. Now there are, you know, uh, engineering boot camps for, for coders that they go through this like code. I don't even know how many weeks it is like, like eight weeks or something. I mean, it's fast. And previously engineers had to go through like college to, to get their degree. And then and then uh, businesses would hire them and stuff. Well, now that you can, you can be a nurse and you can go through an engineering bootcamp, become a coder, and someone will hire you sometimes for more money than you're making as a nurse to, to be a coder because that's what the industry needs right now. We need more, we need more engineers. And, and, but they, weren't, they didn't come from colleges, traditional colleges. And so the market had to figure out, do we want to hire these? people who come with less experience probably take a little bit more, more nurturing mentorship along the way to get them to the place that maybe they would have been that someone with more experience has. But ultimately they found that, uh, yeah, it's sort of like, like you guys were saying, you know, you have the mind, you have the brain for this. What you just need is you just need help getting to the right, to the right place and getting your experience to the right, to the right level. Now, Engineering is much less, uh, there's much less risk involved in coding. <laughs> you know, you screw up a line of code, it's different than screwing up a medication. But, but what we found was that uh, businesses were willing to hire those people and it has fundamentally changed the market, but it's also helped us meet the demand that our nation has right now in order to, to develop new technology. We didn't have enough engineers and so the market came up with an idea to train extra engineers. So that's sort of along the lines of what, of what we were discussing is, is there a way in which we can develop a new way of training nurses that maybe bypasses the, the accreditation body or create sort of a new subset of nurses that are pre-nurses? You know, we, we know nurses are going to get their BSN through online schools anyway, after they're already hired, you know. So there's already sort of like different levels of nurse of nursing that you sort of then work to sort of re-up. But what I'm what I think about just broadly in all this is how many of those nurses that are that are RNs that are going to online schools to get their BSNs actually feel like that's worth their time. 
most of them are kind of like, no, I'm doing it because the hospital's making me do it. And do you come out a better nurse on the other end? Probably not much. <laughs> nope. you lost a lot of time, lost some money, unless the hospital paid for it. I'm not interested in busy work. I'm not interested in doing things for the sake of, of doing them because that's the way it's been done. What I look at is like, hey, if we're going to train a new generation of nurses, let's train them with the information that matters and not just the information that can, that can get them through the sort of jungle of regulations. Why can't we mobilize um, our community to, to train nurses on the information that actually matters that, that we know now? Can you imagine? So my master's was what you, it was a hybrid of online and in person. I went up in Vancouver and I, can you imagine, like I got a a dual master's in education and, and administration, but I didn't learn how to teach a class in the education part. I'm sure I could have gotten hired and I would have walked into the classroom clueless and the administration part, like why are we not forcing these nurses who are doing these degrees to go and be with a mentor in a management position? Like there was nothing. And so to me, it's like that whole paradigm has to, has to switch because there's, I, I was totally unprepared for either role and I didn't want to do it when I got out. I was like, Oh hell no, this is not happening. So I think that, 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 just listening to you talk about, you know, pre-nurses or, you know, what are the ways that we can get these people in is super interesting because that was my experience. Mm -hmm. Waste of time. I mean, if ever there was a career that should be modeled as an apprenticeship, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, you need the fundamentals. You need, you know, physiology and pathophysiology and biochemistry and, you know, pharmacology and like those basic, duh, yeah, it's just good fundamental to know, but not stuff you're just going to forget yeah, you know, right. stuff that you, you take the pharmacology class and then you go hang out with the pharmacist, mm-hmm. you know, in the lab and you take the blood, you know, the pathophys, and then you go hang out with the technicians in the lab. And what does this mean? You know, like, ap- like application, not four years right. of learning. And then, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point too. In the military, as a new BSN nurse, guess who teaches you how to be a nurse all the time? technicians, the enlisted people who've already been corpsmen, who've already been, you know, out in the field. So that's a really interesting point. Uh, Zach, you touched on something else. When you were talking about how do we mobilize people? And, you know, I think it's so interesting to hear what you're saying about how, what it's like to become a nurse. Your story is so compelling. And I wonder too, is it mobilizing the public? Because I was listening to you, and if I was just a normal Joe Schmo, not a nurse, just a, I would be a little bit like, what just happened? Because <laughs> I, I, because they don't know, they don't know that you know that that it that nurses don't get the right you know kind of training on the job. They don't they don't know any of that. And would that make change? Well, you know, there's there's legislation in the, you know, in the house and the Senate right now that are advocating for safe patient, you know, staffing, safe staffing levels. And we know how, you know, bills move through Congress. Oftentimes it's when there's public pressure. And I think these particular bills have just been sitting there. And so, you know, certainly, you know, you know, nurses, we were, remember when we were like 
all clapped at, you know, walking into the hospitals or pots and pans banging and stuff like, like there is a tension on nurses, but there's still this black box about what nurses are going through. Right. I think that's changed some. I've seen some New York Times articles and some videos and stuff that are trying, but I don't think it's really cracked the public, you know, sphere yet where people are totally, are actually like internalizing what nurses are going through. There's, there's still that level of disconnect. You know, I'm no, I'm not even bedside anymore. My wife is still, and, you know, I can feel that disconnect, just not even being there, like not remembering what it's like to be in a short staff shift and that stress of, and the pressures that you feel. And I wasn't even working in a pandemic. So how do we, how do we help educate everyone else that what's going through? And, and I don't necessarily know that the direct answer to that lots of times the way things pierce the media bubble is like when, when there are like specific events that sort of draw a lot of attention that sort of breaks through. But I think in particular right now, what, what really needs to happen is for nurses to, to realize and actualize the, the power that they have right now. And I think that's where this change is going to come from. It's going to yeah. come from a collective force of bedside caregivers sort of realizing that they have the power right now. The power is in their court and hospitals are um, scraping at every last bit to sort of maintain the bit of sort of employee employer control that they have right now. But the reality is, is that the ball is firmly in the nurse's court. It's just up to nurses to figure out um, what to do with it. And I think that's where we are, where we are right now. Yeah. I just want to stand up and clap. Yeah. I just, I just started uh, making posts for our renegade at the hashtag dear general public. And I, I, it's, it was so, it's so brilliant. Um, because, you know, we're always, we've been looking up to the administration and the antiquated systems for, to be our champions, but it's the general public when they're more informed about the state of, you know, how, how scary it is to be in a hospital, especially in the shirt, you know, we need them to be our champions. So I, I, that's what Entre has been doing. It's been great, but Zach, what, what do you do now? I know we're, we're just wrapping up. How do, what do you like to do? How do you help nurses? Can people reach out to you if they want to talk more, if they have an idea for you? Like, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because we want to brag about you on LinkedIn and everywhere else. So okay, (laughs) I love I love being connected to to the sort of like undercurrent of nursing. So that's where I try to live, and I try to have as many conversations with people who are in similar roles as me, who are trying to to make change. And there's a lot of us right now. I think you know you two. That's how we got connected, right? Like. Hey, let's talk. Like we're both in this space. We're trying to do good things. Like, like let's have a conversation. And so a lot of what I do is just have, have conversations with many people. Now I, I work with HealthStream and, and we're creating technology um, that puts the nurse first too. And we're trying to solve some big scheduling problems that are prevalent in the industry right now. And I think HealthStream is well positioned to, to solve those or, or to at least chip away at those problems. But I try to talk to as many of these startups and these founders uh, as I possibly can and uh, work with them to try to share my experience of helping start a business and growing the business and all those relationships that I developed from there on out. But I'm always just have my eye looking years down the road and what sort of, what's the new normal going to be like in five years and how can we 
shape that normal um, into the one that's, that's better for nurses. And so part of it is just, you know, doing what I've always done and looking around, trying to identify the problems that I see um, in the nursing workforce and, and connecting people that I've spoken to in the past to, to those problems to see if maybe their solutions can help there. And then the other side of it too, is just using the platform that I've been granted through some of my, my, you know, fortune and, and, in you know, being in the roles that I've been in to, to create solutions of my own. And so one of the things that, uh, that been, been working on with, this was an EB, this was an idea that started with EB who ran the nurse life and community before he passed. So he and I worked together a lot and we had this idea for uh, a concept called power nursing that uh, was doing sort of exactly what we're talking about. How do we shift power back to the nurses? And so, uh, so since he passed, his brother has stepped in and said, you know, Hey, these, these, this was like really important to EB. I know you guys were working on this. I want to do whatever I can to make sure that this still continues on and legacy and EB's legacy lives on. And so this is essentially a pay and satisfaction site for nurses where we have, you know, someone can go in and raid a hospital as a patient, but, uh, but what is the experience like for the nurse? Uh, And and I think nurses are looking for that right now. They're sort of, their experiences are siloed and you only hear about them if you're reading a comment section on Reddit or Instagram or seeing a story from someone, but how do we sort of democratize that, those experiences so that everyone can see them and learn from them. And so uh, that's where, that's the idea of power nursing, where it came from. Can we collect everyone's, how much they're getting paid based on the years of experience and specialty so that you can go state by state and city by city eventually and see how much nurses are getting paid where, and if they would recommend working at their facility or not. And we believe that over time, especially with, with the audience that EB had curated, you know, he had over 1.2 million uh, followers on his account. We started yeah. this, this idea a year ago or so, and he just did a few swipe ups and we got 17,000 responses for people submitting this specific information. And so we want to create this really large database of nurse pay and satisfaction. And if we can do that, then everyone has access to the same information. This becomes sort of de facto source of nurse pay and satisfaction. And thinking even a few steps down the road, I like to think like, if I was a patient trying to decide which hospital I wanted to go yeah, to, right? Uh, would you want to go to the one that nurses hate working at or the one that <laughs> nurses love working at? Well, you're probably going to get better care at the hospital that nurses actually like working at. And when that, when those dynamics start to play out, now you're impacting the bottom line of hospitals. If nurses are, are fleeing the hospitals and realizing that, oh, my experience, my poor experience is um, not an outlier. It is the norm, but over across town, the opposite, well, I'm going to go work over there. Now you're applying real force on the hospitals to, to make change, to be better, to pay better, to staff better. Otherwise you're going to lose patients and you're going to lose nurses and your business because hospitals are a business is going to struggle. And that's how you make change in this sort of healthcare system is by affecting the bottom line and nurses have that power. They just don't have a platform to exercise that power. And that's um, what we want to try to create with power. So, so it's called, so is it live power nurse? Is it somewhere that people and nurses can go and contribute their data? Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. No, Uh, this is something that we're plugging away at uh, and, and building, but uh, we, 
but it's not live yet. Now we will be very noisy about it when it's live. Yeah, um, we'll we'll yeah. be noisy too. That Good. Sounds- yeah, right. Can I be? Can I be pre-noisy? You can. You can be as noisy as you want about it right now. You know, I mean, obviously we got to build this and the way you build technologies, you launch sort of a beta or an MVP, mm-hmm. which is a minimal viable product. And it doesn't have everything you want in it, but that's because you take one step into the space, you get it out there, you learn, and then you decide, okay, do I want to go left or right based on what I've learned from that first step? And then, and then you just keep taking steps. Uh, so the MVP um, probably won't be as robust as as um, the we have envisioned for it, but it's an important step in the process, and that involves everyone submitting their feedback and joining us on this progress. Our our mentor and team member Luke, who's kind of like the business chops of our Renegade, he said, "If you're not slightly embarrassed when you launch <laughs> something, you've waited too long." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. You know, in in. I think about this just to kind of tie it back to what we were saying earlier. You, you guys know like magnet status for hospitals. Right? Yes. Does that make you, do you, when you were like applying for jobs, did you seek out the hospitals that had magnet status and say, I'm only going to apply to those hospitals because they got the magnet status? No, of course not. Do you, do you think hospitals think that, that matters to them like that that whole well yeah because they're so out of touch they're just they just hang out in their echo chambers and their offices and their bubbles and they're not talking about the hashtag general pulp dear general public i mean you know who cares if you have a i know techs i know secretaries that were smarter and better nurses than some of the nurses that were bachelors prepared in the places i've worked you know So that's, you know, that's the issue, right? Is that here we have a group of people that have convinced themselves that uh, that these stamps, these accreditations matter because that's where the power lies right now. Those same accrediting bodies are the same ones that are approving, you know, nursing schools. And then those nursing schools are, you know, are going about curriculum and working with hospitals. And and so that's how the, the system and the power still lies in the people that, um, to your point, sort of, you know, are, are out of touch with the reality. So what we want to do is if we can get enough people on power nursing, my goal is to get a hundred thousand responses. Uh, I think we can do it because I think this will, this will take off, but we will create a list of the most satisfied hospitals, the most satisfied professions, the least satisfied hospitals, or, or I should say, you know, the, the hospitals that have nurses who are the least satisfied and what we hope to do is to develop an accreditation that actually matters. One that's, that's driven by actual bedside experiences, not by people who are removed from that experience. And so can we make it so our, our can our stamp matter more than, than the magnet stamp? That's what I'm working towards. And if we can get to there, now you can start to see how the blocks are starting to tumble and you can, you can make some real change. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be all over. Dude, that is like there. drops mic. That is. Yeah. I mean, this is so cool because you're, you explained it so well. And I think that the general public and nurses will get it. The power, where is the power? That's right. It Once people know, once patients know that they can pick a hospital that, everybody's happy at or that people are nurses are happy at generally speaking that get paid well like this is a no-brainer you're you're amazing i love this <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, well, you know, this wasn't this was an, uh, an idea that started with with EB two, right? And, yeah. And I'd re- be remiss if I didn't, you know, give him the credit that he deserves for, um, you know, coming up with the pay that he realized on his channel when he was was talking was was that anytime he starts to talk about nurse pay, his messages would just light up. Everyone wants to talk about pay because they're all curious what others are getting paid. And how bizarre is it that we have no way of finding that out? And so we talked, and then that was when we sort of started layering on to this. Like, this is bigger than just pay. What this is about. Oh, my is, gosh, it's so much bigger. And and it sort of kind of took off from there. But the only way this works is if people enter their information and then they share this with others. It has to be it has to be a movement of, of bedside professionals sharing their experiences. You know, we're not going to have like, uh, we don't plan on having like, you know, open field text because it would probably just be an S show. <laughs> if we allowed those at that time. I'm not on the podcast, but <laughs> yeah, but you know, like uh, we, we may, you know, that's, we'll consider adding something like that. But the idea being that that we need people to share this with others so that they, so that we all benefit from, from seeing the same information as each other, not just the information that my friend had that told me about their experience, but the information or, or the experiences of everyone at that hospital. Yeah. But th- those, those surveys, like the extremely dissatisfied, extremely satisfied, you know, mm-hmm. dissatisfied, satisfied, and then the neutral, those, those do the same thing as the S as the S show. You know, it, just with less words, more to the point and direct. I mean, we, we talked about a lot of different things, you know, was do we do we want to have like 10 different fields where people are answering questions on like, how do you, do you rate the staffing levels? How would you rate management? How would you rate senior executive leadership? And and I was like, it's too much. You know, we got to simplify, especially for an MVP. And so I look at this as like Netflix, you know, like Netflix, you can do a thumbs up, thumbs down on your show. Like, did you like it or did you not like it? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. through that, we can get sort of a recommendation, a satisfaction score. So if, you know, 60% yeah. of the nurses are thumbs downing and rotten tomatoes. Are thumbs <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, rotten tomatoes, very, sim- very, very similar to that. Yeah. Now we can develop an actual score and then we can compare that score against other hospitals in your, in your city and your state across the nation, stack them up against each other and, and also have this paired with pay information. So that, but actual pay information, you know how many sites there are where if you Google nurse pay right now, they'll be like the average nurse pay in Washington, it's $45 and you're like, okay, but what specialty and how many years of experience you need that? Yeah. And what shift? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I I think about like what, what you're saying and you're right. Like it, it, it has to be so clear that this is, you know made by nurses for nurses because, you know, they've done those satisfaction things in the upper management. They've done, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't ever pay any attention to them. Who cares? Like that's just right. not information that, that I am even interested in because it's from where it's coming from. So mm-hmm. uh, I can imagine that with that message. Yeah. Power for nurse. Get by, it. Nurse, by nurses for nurses. If people want to reach out to you, Zach, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, if they've got a brilliant idea or just want to give you a message of support, comment, or yeah, or 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 their young Zach Smith who's got a brilliant sure. idea. <laughs> yeah, well, please reach out. I'd love to talk to as, uh, as many people as possible. You know, you can always reach me on my my Instagram, which is Wazu Zach W A Z Z U Z A C H. 
but that's predominantly pictures of my kids. So uh, <laughs> I occasionally I'll, I'll do market research on there sometimes too, since, um, since uh, I know a lot of nurses or I, there's just a small chunk of nurses who follow me there, but you can also email me at zjs.wazzu at gmail.com. That's just my personal email, but where I connect with people like you and, uh, and others who, who want to talk. So please, please reach out. I want to have as many conversations as I possibly can and, and hopefully help create more, uh, more solutions for bedside nurses and healthcare professionals. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Nice talking. Yeah, we'll nice be talk. in touch. Renegades.